All right, so you couldn't be listening to Michelle Obama's podcast right now. Might as well be. I mean, if you want to hear her and Barack have a nice, charming conversation, then sure, sure, enjoy that. But, but, but is Michelle gonna look at a bunch of book covers and read a bunch of blurbs from an article written two months ago? Let's see, July, June, May. It's almost we're getting to two and a half months ago. Is she gonna do that and then judge the writers of the article and the content of the article and the things being discussed in the article that she has no basis for actually drawing conclusions about? She's not gonna do that. And if she does, Michelle, I know you're listening right now. I did it first, okay? I did it first. This is Open Loops slash the Michelle Obama podcast. My name is Greg Bornstein. Welcome to the final episode of Future Reviews. Welcome to Open Loops, an intellectually escapist podcast for the escapist intellectual. This is a show celebrating intellectual diversions as a way of life. Conspiracy, mystery, just plain weird. It's got a rightful place here and the three ring circus of your boundless imagination. My name is Greg Bornstein. I'm your loop master. And today we conclude the epic series. The Howering, how, Harrowing, oh man, adventure that we've had so far. Judging books by their covers before they even come out. That's right, May 2020. Uh, this article, Time Magazine 45 New Books You Need to Read This Summer, by Andrew Archo, Annabelle Gutterman, and Katie Steinmetz, was published at 12.03 p.m., Eastern Standard Time. And guess what? Today, we are going to conclude the series. I wanted to wait. I wanted to give you guys a little bit of room, right? Like, oh, let's meet some of Greg's roommates. Or, like, one of them. Let's meet Greg's high school prom date. Okay, great. Let's meet people that are obligated to still talk to Greg. Great. Um, and you know, I got, I got some life coaches coming up. Okay. I got some life coach coaches. I got some healers. I got some animal whisperers. I got some hypnotists. I got people that are going to take you and me all the way into trance. You know, we, we got a show that's, uh, it's a show that's very open-minded. Definitely, definitely a lot of different perspectives being represented here. Uh, but for now, how about a little bit of Greg? What's Greg up to? What's Greg been judging? recently. Well, I'll tell you what I've been judging. I've been judging the blurbs and the covers of books I haven't read before I'm even being confronted with them. So, let's move into August books. It's Future Reviews, Part 3, The Conclusion. All right, 
here we go. We start with The Death of Vivek Oji by Akwake Imezi, August 4th, coming out. The second adult novel from Akwake Imezi, the award-winning author of Freshwater, begins with a death. Vivek Oji's mother finds her son's body at her front door, and she's forced to finally get to know the child she never understood. Though she was an overbearing presence in her child's life, her husband was not. And as Amezi describes Vivek's coming of age in Nigeria, the author reveals the difficulties the titular character faced in realizing he was queer. By exploring themes of loss, identity, and community, Amezi reaffirms a thoughtful voice in unveiling the mystery of Vivek's passing. Actually, you know what? Okay, so I read this over the first time, and I was kind of like, oh, this is lackluster in terms of the the fact that it's going to be like death and, and, you know, intertwined uh, pink and, and, and almost looks like, like fur scarves, pink and red fur scarves on the cover, like a little boring, you know, death of Vivek OG name. We don't know dies in a, uh, on the front door. Um, I mean, my gosh, find your son's body on the front door though. Now I'm thinking about like, what is that experience to open the front door, see your son dead and then be plunged into the world of uncovering your um, internal sexual predilection that, um, by all means and purposes, isn't the socially accepted version of the way you should turn out to be. I'm sure that's an interesting journey for a lot of people. For me, uh, themes of lost identity and community aren't themes that get me going. Uh, however, I have a feeling that for the right person, this book does give you that mystery satisfaction. How did he end up dead? Why? What's up with parents that know their learn to know their kids more in their death than when they're alive? If you're interested in going on that journey, I think these guys, uh, Andrew Archo, Gutterman, Samantha, uh, they, they laid out the good groundwork for you to be drawn into a mystery. Uh, so I will say, yeah check it out if you're into that kind of thing however lots of death right now in the world i can't do it i can't do it okay here we go luster by raven leilani coming out august 4th 20 something 80 is an aspiring artist who moves in with the man she's been seeing after she loses her job the man is married but his wife has agreed to keep the relationship open and welcomes Edie into their home. There, Edie is encouraged to bond over her black identity with the couple's adopted teenage daughter. Spitting fresh commentary on both race and class, tensions in the house rise as Raven Leilani propels her lost protagonist on a darkly funny journey of self-discovery. Oh man, that is great stuff. And the cover's got, it, it's, it's like a throwback to uh, pulp kind of book covers of the 70s a little bit uh it's it's really it's really interesting i mean 20 aspiring artists moves in with the man she's been seeing after she loses her job yeah i mean it's kind of uh a little scandalous a little bit a little scandalous but like it's got the race edge going on there so i i'm drawn in i'm intrigued Definitely intrigued by the story. Um, 
yeah, I I think Raven's got a interesting book. Always love when you have a word like luster and then a novel after it. Like, let's signify what this is. Um, so bonus points for drawing me in. I mean, I want novelized luster. So Raven, I think you got something good here. Good, good blurb. Check it out. All right. Tail. Oh, gosh, guys, I'm going to tell you right now, this is not interesting me at all. I am sobbing on the inside having to read this title. <sighs> Tale of Two Planets. Stories of climate change and inequality in a divided world. Edited by John Freeman. August 4th. Climate change is such an enormous and unwieldy thing that it often feels hard to see. I tried to comprehend the Titanic while standing six inches away from its hull. In Tales of Two Planets, writer and editor John Freeman tries to make the danger clear by offering readers a range of views. Fiction, essays, even poetry, spanning locations from Florida to the Himalayas, while zeroing in on the way that global warming intersects with disparities. Writers in the collection, edited by Freeman, include Margaret Atwood and Edwidge Denticat. Well, look, I mean, if Edwidge Denticat is going <laughs> to chime in, I mean, um, you know, that is that is the Benedict Cumberbatch of Edwidges. Uh, wow. You know what? Okay. I'm always happy when I think the class is going to be boring, but the teacher makes it interesting. That's kind of what happened with this blurb here. Um, Tales of Two Planets. Already kind of a, uh, you know, a clickbaity title for the intellectual escapist. But then we're talking about, you know, the Titanic in this blurb and, and inequality and climate change in a divided world. Uh, you know what? I bet there's some interesting essays in this work. Have to be. I mean, the, the, one of them was written by a dainty cat. Uh, so check it out. Tales of Two Planets. I, oh, you know what? I haven't been giving letter grades, but I'm going to give this a solid B. It's a B. Begin again. James Baldwin's America in its urgent lessons for our own by Eddie S. Gloud Jr. August 4th. Oh, we've seen this guy. You know what? I saw this guy in Trevor Noah the other night. He was great. Um, in Begin Again, Eddie S. Gloud Jr., chair of the Department of African-American Studies at Princeton University, draws parallels between racial tensions in the U.S. today and in the years following the civil rights movement, particularly the way those years were navigated by renowned essayist James Baldwin. Now as then, communities of color experienced profound disillusionment about how just America was and claimed to be. But, Cloudy writes, Baldwin still found ways to reimagine hope in the face of historic adversity. Oh yeah, I love um, this, the energy that this guy brings to talking about James Baldwin's work. I mean, I'm just really not as familiar with James Baldwin's work and those essays, but anyone telling me that a man possesses an America, James Baldwin's America, when someone's like, you know, Walt Disney's America, uh, Bill Gates's America, you know, like, I want to know, oh, you got an America. Does yours look like mine? 
Like, like, uh, let me show you. Like, that's good. Um, also, James Baldwin, you know, is is uh, I'm ashamed to say I don't know the work of James Baldwin as much. I'd like to delve into the thoughts more, especially in this era of, uh, you know, seeking racial justice. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think this book looks interesting. I think uh, the commentator is charismatic as a person and had some interesting ideas. So. If there's anything we need right now, it's reimagining hope. Uh, I do a lot of imagining of hope, but to reimagine it, uh, I mean, hey, is my hope so bad? Maybe it is. Maybe I don't imagine hope well. And Eddie is going to take me through James Baldwin's America to help me reshape it. I'm intrigued. I give it an A minus. Uh, now, here's here's a title that's, you know, hmm. Perfectly, perfectly open loops ish. Love After Love by Ingrid Prasad, coming out August 4th. Ingrid Prasad's novel, Love After Love, like her award winning short story, The Sweet Sop, is centered on her birthplace of Trinidad and told in the dialect of people who live there. Prasad's colloquial style is part of what sets her apart. Uh, of what sets apart her depiction of those everyday, everywhere things like the relationship between a parent and a child. In Love After Love, she tells the story of a mother who escapes domestic violence and forms a makeshift family with a male friend and her son, only to have that more tranquil existence disrupted by honored secrets. Oh man, I was getting worried about this. I was getting worried. I mean, they've got this kind of like green, yellow, red color of the sky with black birds. Like, like the cover is very trippy already. But now it's starting to like use words like mother relationship. I mean, we're bringing in domestic violence and makeshift family. I'm like, oh, and then, of course, oh, you devil, you Annabelle Gunnerman. I know there was you that wrote this. Uh, I. Again, folks, I've never talked to these people. I have no idea, but I think I'm, I'm going to guess it's Annabelle. Um, more than tranquil existence. Ooh, tranquil book cover. Disrupted blackbirds on the cover by unearthed secrets. What's inside the book? You sold me on the book as an experience. You sold me on the unearthed secrets. I give you a B plus because, uh, hey, look, and still got some. A little bit of sadness. Like I want, I want love after love to be a little bit more steamy. I don't think this is steamy. So, uh, you know, B plus, B plus, A minus. Okay, let's do, let's do like a solid like eighty nine point five, where it's like, is the teacher gonna go the A route or the B plus route? Still not sure. Find out. Okay, here we go. The next book is called A Saint from Texas by Edmund White. Oh, I love this book cover. Yeah, yeah, check out the book cover from A Saint from Texas. Edmund White has explored humanity through many media and travelogues and novels, through satire and self-interrogation. He published his first major work in 1973 and has written more than 30 books since, becoming a prominent figure in queer literature along the way. His latest novel, a saint from Texas follows twin sisters from oil-rich Texas bound for different lives. One is pursuing indulgence in Paris, where White lived for years, and the other 
salvation in South America. Despite the distance and plenty of drama, White explores how the bond of twins is hard to break. Oh man, this is... Uh, hmm. I bet this is a B plus. I bet it's a solid B plus in my book. Um, I Again, this is like totally an unfair thing I'm doing. I'm judging based on blurbs. I'm judging based on an awesome cover, but the cover and the blurb and the, you know, being known for, for satire and self-interrogation, uh, if that doesn't sum up my everyday existence, I mean, I love it. And, but in, and we're also pursuing indulgence in Paris and salvation in South America, uh, yeah, that's what I'd be pursuing if I, uh, uh, when I think about going to South America to hang with a shaman and do ayahuasca, what am I seeking? Salvation. When I go to Paris, I think romance. I think, I think like exorbitant feelings. I think of hedonism. I think of, you know, even entertaining intellectual ideas in a way that's, uh, hedonistic, you know, I mean, very similar to, very similar to this podcast, uh, so indulgence in Paris, salvation in South America, right there, you're getting into A minus A territory, but then it's exploring the bond of twins. Ugh. Who who cares about the bond of twins in those contexts? I mean, so shooting it down to like a B plus, B plus, B plus. Check it out. Belabored. A Vindication of the Rights of Pregnant Women by Liz Lentz, coming October 11th. Oh boy. Oh boy. Okay. Let's see what's going on here. Wow. Actually, this could be another one of those like the teacher makes the class kind of situations. Seems kind of interesting. Because um, I was definitely judging this book by its name. But then the cover's good. And then here we go. There's the blurb right here in belabored Iowa-based writer and editor Liz Lentz delves into one of the great ironies surrounding pregnancy. As women do the work necessary to bring a child into the world, they are often infantilized themselves by lawmakers who decide what medical care they're allowed to seek by baristas who refuse to serve them. With wit and deadly seriousness, Lens draws attention to the rising rate of maternal mortality in the U.S. and calls for an update to the way people view pregnancy in America. Oh, oh boy. I mean, this is like in the realm of like Betty for Dan kind of, uh, you know, a call to action, a, a voice and, and you know, uh, injustice in, in women communities. Um, women communities. I mean, just, I, I could have just said like women. Um, yeah, this is just, I mean, look, wit and deadly seriousness is a great combination. Um, also like lawmakers deciding what medical care they're allowed to seek and baristas are the two barometers in this blurb. I think Andrew Archo, who I'm sure really needs to educate himself on vindicating the rights of pregnant women who wrote this blurb. Um, he wrote this blurb to disappoint me. Um, but at the same time, you know what? Like he, he disappointed me intellectually, but escapist wise, I'm like, Oh, let's hear the story of these baristas. I'm a little intrigued. I'm kind of curious if it's under, 150 pages 
I'll probably, you know, I would slog through it. Obviously, I'm not a pregnant woman. Obviously, I'm not investing my daily moments with that uh, that particular niche uh, in terms of, you know, investing my 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 social justice and and rights fighting energies. But it sounds like if this book or to, you know, spread the word about what's going on and we're really to take this seriously. Um, you know, this would be a very interesting take on that. So for that reason, I give it, oh man, it's, yeah, am I going to pick it up at the bookstore? Probably not. I give it a B plus. I give it a B plus. This is the night our house will catch fire. Nick Flynn coming out August 25th. Oh, wow. We've jumped from uh, so nothing. By the way, just note this, ladies and gentlemen, there are no interesting must read books between the 11th and the 25th of August. Any book that comes out between then and then just ignore it, ignore it, ignore it, ignore it like the uh, I was going to say plague. But you know what? I mean, hey, it's it's hard to ignore the plague when you're in the plague. So uh, ignore it like the 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 child that, um, you know, is in your room right now while you're trying to listen to this and and raise him. And uh, you're, you're trying to attend to your life again. Just ignore that kid. Ignore the kid. Uh, OK. You, you guys have a child in your room, right? That you're trying to ignore. Should I should I let this kid go? I mean, this is my son I'm talking about here. Hey Jerry, Jerry, get out of the room. Get out of the room. I don't have a son. Everybody listening, don't freak out. I'm messing. Okay, here we go. This is the house. Oh, this is the night our house will catch fire. Nick Flynn, August 25th. At seven years old. Oh. Well, there you go. At seven years old, Nick Flynn's life was upended after his mother set fire to the house. Nearly a decade and a half later, she took her own life. In his new memoir, the playwright and poet returns to his hometown with his young daughter to better understand his upbringing. As he digs up his painful past, Flynn realizes how he's carried those memories with him and asks how they've impacted his roles as both partner and parent. Sounds like an interesting uh, examination. I'm kind of intrigued. I like playwrights and poets returning to their hometowns. And, and I mean, this seems like kind of a very dark piece, but seven years old. Oh, my gosh. Mom set fire and then took her life a decade and a half later. I, oh, wow. I, I just am sort of curious, like, what the psyche, what that does to someone's psyche. Uh, and, you know, I mean, the cover is... um. It's nice. It looks like there's, I, I, can't, I can't quite tell. There's like a like a green figure, you know, just the outline of a green figure, black burning house embedded within the soul area of the green figure. Uh, I think I think we're gonna get an interesting exploration. I have a feeling this would be a funny book, like like dark humor, like very dark, very dark. Uh, so you know what. I mean, August so far has given me like a lot of B pluses uh, because it doesn't it, you know, this doesn't give me the the escapist factor a lot. It doesn't really give me the escapist factor. But from a like this is probably an entertaining take on a real 
a real um it's not a dilemma it's a real issue um a real moment that someone's existence completely upended and setting the foundation for everything they're going to become uh hey i just even used the word upended and that came from the blurb so you know what okay you're getting a b plus b plus the presidents versus the press the endless battle between the white house and the media from the founding fathers to fake news by harold holzer coming out you guessed it august 25th harold holzer is an expert on abraham lincoln in the civil war era he's written and edited more than 30 books that go deep on that stretch of american history but his latest work is in a different proportion offering a broad survey of the relationships between presidents and the press that spans from george washington to donald trump tensions between the white house and the media may be more public than ever today but as the scholar reveals they go back as far as commanders in chief do hey that sounds good that sounds awesome i love that i love that i love when people put articles up on facebook that are like oh you think trump had negative uh, twitter response today but look at what happened in 1871 I love that stuff um, just because it's it's what teachers talked about, right? History repeats itself. And I, I love a distillate. Well, I'm very into American history. Uh, my grandfather, as I've mentioned several times, was an American historian, uh, biblical history. And uh, he always taught me a lot about the presidents. So he he definitely brought a lot of that influence. But to break it down and really just talk about presidents versus um, the people that show us parts of who these presidents are, it's great. It's great. I always remember that great moment with uh, what's his face. Uh, was it was it Chris Wallace on Fox and Bill Clinton and, and he tried to ask Bill Clinton something to just like trip him up a little bit and Bill Clinton was like, "Oh, this is what you always try to do. You you press. You're the spin people. You're trying to spin something right now." I'm a... He was like really upset. That was my desperate desperate Bill Clinton. Um, you know, like trying to like uh, you know he almost like oh gosh I have to I have to piss Bill Clinton. Oh yeah, that's a very no no that's not last night. No, I gotta go. Yeah. Um, so presidents versus the press always been a thing. Uh, two more books left. Wow, we jumped the gun. Really bad month for new books, I think, August, in terms of just like volume. Uh July's getting all of it, but here we go. Vesper Flights by Helen MacDonald, August 25th. In 2015, naturalist Helen MacDonald's debut memoir, H is for Hawk, cemented her status as an essential writer on nature, humanity, and loss. Now MacDonald dives into similar themes in Vesper Flights, which features essays both old and new. From reflecting on the childhood where her love for animals grew to her sharp, sharp observations on the migrations of songbirds, MacDonald fills her narratives with vivid descriptions of the wildlife that surrounds us vesper flights 
reminds of the intricacies of nature's creatures and underlines the importance they serve in our lives. Ah, boring. I don't care about birds. <laughs> I just don't. Even with humanity and loss and tying it to nature, I know it's going to be much more about naming like specific traits of like, why is their wing shaped like this? Migrations of songbirds. I mean, it's it's got a great... This is the reverse, right? The topic is great. The history of Hollywood. Oh, I want to take that class. Class is boring. The teacher's boring. The curriculum is just not interesting. That's what this is. I give it A. I give it a C. Here we go. Final book of the month. We are concluding future reviews. Judging books that haven't come out yet. By the blurbs. By the intrigue. By... Do I even want to, like, read the back cover of most of these books? I don't know if I do. Um, but here we go. The final book is Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth by Brian Stetler. Coming out August 25th. Brian Stetler. Chief media correspondent for CNN conducted more than 250 interviews in his quest to shed new light on the relationship that is shaping the course of American history, that between President Donald Trump and Fox News. In Hoax, Stetler focuses on the interplay between the country's leader and its most-watched cable news network during the COVID-19 pandemic, delving into the power of personality, the lure of lies, and the impact on a susceptible nation. Oh, huh, 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 okay. I bet all three of these guys worked on this blurb. You're going to give me a little, like, alliteration at the end of the article to, like, tie it up in a nice poetic bun. Um, okay, but, you know, let's talk about it. How many times does the word hoax and Fox and Trump have to appear before our eyes? I'm sure it's interesting. 250 interviews in his quest to shed new light. Interviews with who? Like, give me a little something more there. I mean, it could be interviews with, you know, me. I I don't know, man. I could give you 250 interviews right now. Uh, so, like, thanks for not giving me any authority. But I'm sure, I'm sure it's with people in the inside, the insider industry. Do we care about Fox? Didn't Jon Stewart cover this? Like, 2004? I mean, Trump, yeah, he likes Fox, but he doesn't even like Fox anymore. This article, this article hasn't aged well. Donald Trump was like rejecting Fox end of May, like, like in June. It was in June. Uh, so I think this book is, I'm, I'm hoping Brian rewrites sections of this book right now, because in this time period, you cannot, the, the news, the Trump's relationship to media in general changes on a daily basis fox ain't the thing anymore stability is the thing what's trump's relationship to a stable narrative let's go into that what's 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 everyone's relationship to any source of stability right now i have no idea i'm gonna give this book a b minus for not picking up on the fact that everything is in flux or going to be more in flux and as a chief media correspondent for CNN, you're not giving me any comfort either, Brian. Okay? 
I don't know where my news, what, where to trust my news anymore. Mm. Now, if Wolf Blitzer had written this book, would I, would I bump it up to a B? Maybe. Because I want to know what's going on in that guy's heart. Okay, I want a little depth of that. Like, what's the power of personality there? Uh, and I don't think he has one. I'm not that interested in a wolf as a person. Maybe the book would give me something. I would give that a B experience of like titillation that Wolf Blitzer is some some dastardly man like like seducing uh, people in a consensual manner, unlike you know Matt Lauer, uh, and 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 drawing them in. You know, I mean, look, he's got the facial hair of the most interesting man in the world. Uh, he could be a Dosecki's kind of man on the on the night shift, but like Wolf, I mean, his name is Wolf. Like that is that is nice. It's a nice name. That is something that is Wolf is the name of like, you know, a, a, a Brooklyn couple's son. Uh, so, hey, if Wolf wrote the book, it'd get a B. As of now, it's a B minus. The blurb itself, it's also a B. All right, there you have it, folks. The best books of summer 2020. Looking forward to summer still? Going well? How's everyone's summer doing? These books make you feel better? Huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's where about I'm at, too. Hey, that was a fun experiment. Three months. Book blurbs. I want to thank... Andrew Archo and Annabelle Gutterman and Samantha Steinmetz uh, for publishing content publicly, exercising your right for free speech, going to journalism school, getting a, you know, a probably okay job. I hope you're still working at Time Magazine um, because, hey, you gave me inspiration. The mashup, the book covers, the blurbs, the intrigue. Uh, I was intrigued enough to want to do three episodes on your article. So I thank you for that. What is my overall experience of doing this for my episode? Having done it, here's the only review you're going to get so far actually based on experience. I have now read your article. I have now done episodes. I have now taken in your unique perspective, your ability to market, promote, pre-review, and make it my own. And to you, Annabelle, Andrew, Miss, Miss, Miss Samantha. Well, Samantha, right? That was your name. I think I closed out of the article. The review I give you is a solid A- Oh, no, it's not Samantha. It's Katie Steinmetz. Oh, gosh. Okay, so look, I give myself a D, and I give you guys an A+. For my shame, for not even remembering your names after doing three episodes. 45 books you need to read this summer. Time Magazine. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Open Loops. It's been a pleasure. If you like this show, uh, feel free to subscribe in Apple Podcasts. Leave a review spotify uh leave a review in michelle obama's podcast tell them to listen to open loops that could help let you know like just just in the comments oh michelle barack they're so great but but open loops is talking about you too just an idea just a thought all right everybody take care